You want to put the mic inside that hole, maybe? Stand closer, Spencer. Oh my god. Welcome to Under Rocks on WNIJ, where we explore unique places, people, occupations, and more right here in our backyard. And on this episode, it's all things beekeeping. It's an ancient practice that has allowed us to eat sweet honey for thousands of years without all the bee stings. Well, for those of us who do the eating at least. We're buzzing around Franklin Grove, Illinois at Orion Organics for this show, where we hear there is quite the beekeeping operation. Here's our beekeeping expert, Tim Benedict, and he's going to tell us everything he knows and that we need to know about this ancient occupation. It's all things beekeeping with Tim Benedict here on Under Rocks. In general, when you're, if you're trying to find a good source of honey, um, Find like some local honey, but then look at their address on Google Maps and go to Google Earth and then zoom out and see what's around that apiary. Is it a bunch of soy fields, which the bees love, soy blossoms, Mm -hmm. um, or just clover? Um, So just every every apiary has to have their address um, published. So you can do your own homework you know, and look on Google Earth and see what the bees are getting. Is there a difference between real rural? Like, I, I when I was in Evanston recently, I saw some hives on top of somebody's roof, and I wondered where they were. Yeah. Where the bees were going. I mean, yeah. could, would I be able to taste that in the honey, or should I watch out for that? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've I've heard that rural beekeeping. I mean, urban beekeeping is actually going pretty well. Yeah. Like, um, there there's quite a diversity of flowers. In a, in a city and in the burbs. Now, whether or not the homeowners, you know, spray preen on their, you know, plants or not, but um, it can taste pretty good. I've had some Chicago, yeah. you know, inner city honey. There's bike bee in Chicago. It's some, a few women who bike, have these, you know, bicycles with yeah. big carts and they go around all the city. With and the hives? And they tend to the hives. On people's rooftops or in their backyards. Oh, I want that job. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. So, if, if we were to uh, look at your place on a Google map, what are your bees eating? Um, gosh, just hundreds of kinds of native wildflowers from the prairie here. Um, I'm surrounded by over 4,000 acres of Nechusa grasslands, bison preserve, and then there's several thousand more of just woodlands. And the bees will get lot of pollen and also nectar from from the forest because of habitat loss and other threats to bees with um, pesticides and whatnot actual real honey is harder and harder to get Mm -hmm. so um, big shipping containers full of some other form of sugar flavored to be honey comes to our ports they were using high fructose corn syrup and then Mm -hmm. the FDA gave the border agents test kits for that. So they switched to like rice syrup and then sorghum syrup. I don't know what they're using now, but it's hard to detect unless you have the test kit because right. it tastes like honey. They've got a very convincing flavor. And it's just cheaper to produce? or Yeah. It's, it's... Oh, so cheap. Yeah. You don't need to keep the bees alive. No. You just need to plant a bunch of and GMO crops. As honey. Yeah. And they're able to put 
the 100% honey label on it until they get busted. They're not making the honey for us, that's for sure. They're making it for winter survival. As a beekeeper, you're kind of tricking them into being like, oh, you made all this honey, but psych, it's gone, because you take it off yeah. and you put, the, you put the empty frames back in, the drawn out comb. And they're like, oh, I thought we just filled this with honey. <laughs> We're going to do it again and again. Um, you, With that said, you keep the lower half of the hive. You never touch that. That's for their winter supply and uh, for the queen to lay her eggs or brood. Mm -hmm. But if you do a good job as a beekeeper, you keep, keep the riffraff out. You give them enough space, but not too much space yeah. for the wax moths to come in. You know, Then they will... Um, then you can add on the super boxes on top, which you can easily extract and put back the same day. Okay. So philosophical question then. Is honey vegan? I actually had a vegan come by here last summer. And I wanted to inspect the beehives. She didn't say why. I was hmm. like, sure, I'll show you the bees. And it's like, well, where do they go? They can go anywhere? It's like, yeah, there's the door's always open. It's like, you... You don't keep them in there? It's like, well, they wouldn't make honey then. Oh, so they're kind of free-range bees? It's like, yes, they're free-range. Um, it's like, so you don't torment them or anything? It's like, no, they're pretty happy bees. And then she told me, I'd like to get, you know, I'd like to get a case of honey. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm vegan, and I've never uh, done honey before, but my glycemic index is off or something, and I, the doctor said I should get some good honey. Okay. I would say it's... It's vegan because you're not. It's not. Uh, you're not sacrificing the animal. They're producing it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a little extra. Right. <laughs> it's just weird to have them get up your pants I, I, and then they crawl around. We yeah, are we are taping up the the feet right now. Yeah. Tell us, tell us why we're doing this. <laughs> well, uh, bees up your pant legs are worse than ants in your pants. So. <laughs> And as you move around beekeeping, your pants rise, and um, and if I these are full suits we're wearing, but if um, often I'll just use like a jacket if I'm going in the hives, and it's a hot day, and um, as I'm lifting boxes, my pants will ride down and my shirt will rise up. So by the end of the summer, I got this great swath of bee stings on my my lower back. <laughs> <laughs> Are these the kind of bees that die when they sting, or is it? Yeah, honeybees do. Um, okay, they'll pull out. Their stingers attach to part of their entrails, yeah. their guts, and um, they can't sting twice. So if you get stung, you actually lose the bee. Yes, and that's the last thing they want to do is sting you. Right. So we'll first be like guard bees, and they'll come out. They'll come out and just bug us to try to get us to move along. And they're not going to sting us necessarily. They're going to, if we were to just stand by the side of the hives, these guard bees would be like, you annoyed yet? You annoyed yet? Go on, go on. <laughs> um, and then eventually they'll, if you get too close, particularly if you're getting close to their queen, if you're taking boxes apart, They'll hammer you. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell when they're threatened. Um, they send out a f attack pheromone, and their their buzzing vibration changes. It's really dis distinct. One of my most 
valuable tools in beekeeping is a stethoscope. And you can hear a lot about a hive just by putting it against the box. Like in the winter where the cluster is, um, where the cluster around the queen in the winter to keep her warm. And um, you get if they're losing their queen, if she's not doing well, it's one vibration, like the queenless roar when she's dead. Or if there is... So sad. Yeah, or if there's an invader like a mouse nest, they're agitated. That's another vibration. Just basically a, you know, a frequency of the buzz. Have you been on the receiving end of uh, of, of agitated bees? Yes. <laughs> you know, my worst mistake is to get in uh, work them in the evening when they're done with the day and they just want to chill. Yeah. And I'm still have work to do. They'll let me know. I got hammered the other day. Yeah. Yeah. They bit through the suit. Oh, really? Yeah. We're not going to do anything like that today. (laughs) (laughs) I've made that mistake with my kids, too. (laughs) When they get tired, you just leave them be. Yeah. So this would be a good suit for you. Okay. I think, like, uh, for the listeners, they need to remember this during the next pledge drive, the the lengths that we will go to to bring you a story. Please give generously. <laughs> the bees and I listen to a lot of NPR, WNIJ, when we are... So these are smart bees. They are. They, too, are working on their PhD from NPR. <laughs> What's their favorite show? Science Friday? Yeah, Science Friday, yeah. definitely. They'll come up and to Thank my you. upstairs window and buzz, tap against it to wake me up. Come on, <laughs> turn on the radio. It's like Narnia here. We're going through the... <laughs> Holy <laughs> Here they are. We're just here now. Oh, you're here. Let me show you from the front first, just okay. so you get an idea. Yeah, if we stay out of their flight path, like come over here oh, a bit. Wow. No problem. But if you look, yeah. <laughs> if you kind of look into the dark woods there, you can see them coming in and out. And um, there's a pond there. So on a hot day, there will be another flight path going to the pond. And back into bringing in water and oh. spitting it up in the hive and fanning it, in evaporative cooling to stay cool. I um, want an air condi- a beef yeah. air conditioner. That's so cool. And if you notice the all the rainbow colors on the hive, it's to help them identify their hive. So in organic beekeeping, if you have a problem, you want to contain it because it's it's pretty labor intensive to deal with mite infestation or whatnot. So they were all white boxes and just two by fours. These bees come in from their foraging a pretty good clip, pretty good speed. And they may go into the wrong box, go and smell for their queen, go into another one and maybe another one until they smell their queen's pheromone. And if they brought back mites, they're spreading it Uh, in between the boxes. So they can see the color. Yeah. They're really good at color and pattern recognition um they don't see red well red's like a gray but i put the red with the yellow and green just because i like rasta colors (laughs) but all the others are like different patterns and mandalas so it really helps them um it's kind of like their address plate like i just thought it was decoration no they're to they're to help them guide um, to their right hive. They want to go into their hive. Sure. They don't want to bring honey into someone else's. I mean, they do work together collaboratively as a species, yeah. but independently as a colony. 
Yeah, so last year there was four kinds of pollinators under this beehive structure. You see the paper wasp nest up there? Yeah. <laughs> they built that last spring. I was like, let me see how that goes. And they just, they lived quite harmoniously with you all just, of the honeybees. You let it be, it's not interfering. Yeah, let it be. The, and then there was two, honey, different, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, two different kinds of wasps in the back in the... Uh, um, empty boxes. Did they contribute at all, or they just... No, they did their own thing. Yeah. Yep. But didn't threaten them. That would be my... It's like, is there going to be a bee fight? Bee, bee versus wasp? Right, like, yeah. No. Like, okay. Da, na, 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 the way... <laughs> the way bees communicate is just absolutely amazing. Like, the... Let's say the first forager that discovers a new nectar, pollen, water source, um, she comes back in, She'll, let's say my, my neighbor's apple orchard, you know, goes in bloom. She discovers it. She comes back in, sends out a pheromone. Other foragers will surround her, and she does this dance called a waggle dance. Let's see it. She goes around. Get that shot, Mike. In a figure eight. And then she'll line up oh, with. Oh, apple tree. I saw what you did there. She'll yeah. remember yeah. where the sun is and the location, and then she'll wiggle her butt. And the length of the wiggle and the speed of it will tell them what they'll find and how far to go. Really? And it's like a every half a second is like 500 meters or something. They've actually calculated the, the, the duration uh -huh. of her wiggle and the speed of it will tell them exactly where to go. And then the foragers will come out to their entrance pad, their landing pad, look up at the sun remember which way she was pointing, and fly right to it. Wow. And they can see the sun on a totally overcast day, like it's bright as ever. Do they get confused by city lights or by antennas and anything like that? I would imagine. I don't, I don't know. Okay. But they, can, they see in different spectrums. So it could be a completely dark Seattle type of day, and they look up and they'll see exactly where the sun is. Oh, man. I heard that the, the Vikings were really good sailors and navigators too because they had some crystal stone that they would hold up and they could see through the clouds and see where the sun was at Jeez. Yeah. i just heard this too but yeah is it, is it magic it's magic it's it'd be cool to see on different light spectrums yeah. so want to so, open up a hive sort of. do you have any questions yeah. before we do okay so you've got to respect the intelligence or the group intelligence of the bee yeah. I mean, you could think of them as a crop. What do you think of them as? We rely on them so much, you know, for our current food system. They're like the backbone of our food system. Besides the hard work of our farmers and water and healthy soil, um, we really have nothing without them being pollinated. And over a third of the food, you know, we at the grocery store is needs natural pollination. We can't go around and hand pollinate trillions, quadrillions of flowers every year, you know. I grew up in the Sahara Desert and my dad had, uh, had some squash in our yard once. No bees in the Sahara. So he would come out with a paintbrush and a spoon and gather the pollen from one to another. And we actually got a few uh, got a few squash that way but you can't do that with our yeah. agriculture system yeah and um, it's worth saying that apis mellifera the western honeybee 
um, that we're here with is not indigenous to North America. They were brought over from Europe, but as well as we brought over all of these, these European fruits and vegetables as well that we've come to rely on. So we've changed the ecosystem, the farming landscape, and now we completely rely on, on honeybees to pollinate them. So, yeah, I, I, I love them. They're, they're, they're just magical how they do what they do and work together for the collective good. Okay. okay, now we're ready, I think. Yep. To Let me push this in a little more. Oh, thank oh you. You're thank about you. to die. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Which which end of these hives do the, uh, Where where's the mead? <laughs> we just go right there. What end is the mead? <laughs> Let's try this one, actually. They're nice and mellow. You can see them right in there. Oh, yeah. Put your eye in there. There's a lot of them. Oh. Look at all that beautiful white wax that kind of shows the beekeeper that the um, there's honey to be had. That they've started closing up the cells. You can give them a little smoke there, okay? So they're filling. They take, you know, they take a while bringing in the nectar, and they'll put it into one of their stomachs. And if they want to make honey out of it, they put certain enzymes and they'll spit it back up into the individual cells as honey. Now, if they want to make wax out of it, they'll also put in just the right proportion of pollen with the nectar and certain enzymes and they'll spit up wax. If they want to make propolis, which is... Um, this uh, sealing agent is kind of like wax. It seals up the joints, makes a tight, tight hive. That's another process. Is that what that is? What yeah, now? that's propolis. So once the bees have um, packed it in the cells with honey, they start drying it down um, by fanning it with their fanning it with their wings. And when it gets under, say like 18% moisture or so. They cap it with uh, wax, each cell, and then it'll last forever. They found honey in, you know, the <clears throat> King Tut's tomb that's still edible. Oh. Um, are they getting more and more agitated since you took the lid off, or is it just sort of... Uh, no, they're pretty they're mellow. Totally fine. We're just... Okay. You want to work kind of slowly but deliberately with the bees. You're... Sh you're shaking or nervous, and yeah. you better not be get out into the hives too. that day, you know? Now, I am going to pull out a frame if you guys want to see in there. I'm going to do it nice and slow, but we'll have more bees come up at us, obviously. You pull it out nice and slow. Whoa. Beautiful. Indeed. You, you see the white capped the white wax around there that's the wax that's the capping so any honey under there is completely dried down under 18% moisture and it's ready to store forever the open cells they're still filling it up with honey or they're or they're drying it down I did notice when you started the smoking took off they went down they went down yeah Some. oh wow look at this next one 
It's full of um, baby brood. Um, Can you tell? What, what do you describe? Yeah, what do you, a, really do you mind at? grabbing me that metal? Yep. And that goes right on the edge here. I have to say this is not as scary as... No. Like, it does feel calm. Yeah. They're showing that, you know, the vibration of bees and their smell and essence and everything is very calming. Now, there are some days you're just dripping in sweat, your back is hurting, and you're all stung. And it's not the most calming occupation, but in beekeeping, there are certain times, many times of the year where you have to do certain things. There's no waiting, despite the weather. Oh, this look at that. So this is all baby brood. See this tan kind of velvety covering? Those are baby bees underneath that are developing. And it takes them about three weeks to develop um, into a bee. And once they hatch, they walk around the hive. They, they're kind of grayish. Eyes are kind of closed. They're, they just bump into their sisters. That sisters communicate by their antenna. And kind of, I think just instinctually, they What's know what to do. Doing? That one might be putting in some royal jelly into a... Cell. She may be feeding. May she may be a nurse bee that's putting more food into a cell before she covers it up to incubate. I'm glad you spied that. You yeah. Pulled out. That was very cool. So the queen will lay a little egg, tiny, smaller than a grain of rice, and then the nurse bees will go and fill that cell with some food for the baby to develop. Royal jelly is one of the main components in. We don't really understand exactly what royal jelly is, but it's a complex source of nutrients that helps the babies um, develop. Now, if they want, when they need to develop to make a new queen, they'll choose a handful of young larvae and give it a little extra royal jelly, like probably a fraction of a drop. And that little extra royal jelly will change the whole DNA of that bee, and she will develop into a queen. It's amazing. You hear the vibration change? It's kind of yeah, this a lot is okay. louder. Is this okay? Yep. We're just going to put it back together. They're like, all right, you guys uh, had fun because we're <laughs> going to get back to work. We got babies in here to feed. So we just slowly put the frames back in because you don't want to. Like they say, roll the queen. Oh, gosh. Which is, if she's between two frames and you roll her and she dies, then you're really out of luck. Did they get upset? Yeah, well, then you're queenless. And they have to make a new queen, and it's getting really late in the season. I felt it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you want to put the mic inside that hole, maybe? Stand closer to it. Oh, my God. That is the sound of inside a hive. Let's do you want to do that to another hive that we haven't had yeah, yeah, yeah. to compare? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to make these guys anymore. That would be a cool comparison. Let's uh that oh, one yeah. right there. And now it's quiet. <laughs> if you want to put your microphone inside this hive. 
Yeah, that was cool to hear the difference of I can't wait to hear what you've <laughs> the got. calm one. So, like I said, about like 99% of the bees are these worker bees. And then there's a small number of male bees or drones. And they're much bigger. They've got big bulbous eyes. If you can find them, they're kind of fun to handle because they don't sting. So you can actually just pick them up. Wow, these hives are full of honey. Just, but they're not capped enough. So, depending on the humidity, out it'll take another week or two before they've dehydrated the honey enough and um, cap it with wax. Then the next process, which I'll show you, is is removing that thin cover of wax um, and putting in a centrifuge to spin the honey out. And you give it back to them, and they'll fill it back up. On average, how often are you out here collecting honey? I'll do maybe like uh, each hive, I'll get the honey off twice a year. Mm -hmm. And then I let them, I could do more, but I let them go into winter with tons of honey. Mm -hmm. I mean, close to 100 pounds of honey. In the winter, I'll wrap these with some insulation. And the queens... The queen stays in the middle, and the rest of the bees just, they surround her when it's really cold. And they generate heat by flexing their, their flight muscles, their wing muscles, mm -hmm. basically their pecs. And they'll, without moving their wings, they'll generate this heat and keep the cluster, like, in the 90s. 95 degrees, even when it's, like, 10 degrees out. This, um, this hive overwintered. Um, from last winter and came out super strong. It's so I've uh, I name the hives sometimes. It used to be just like 2020, 2023A, 2023B, C, D, E, F, G, and then um, a friend of mine suggested that we give the queens due respect. So it's this is that's Queen Annabelle, Queen Beatrice, and this is Queen Cordelia. After my mother, actually. <laughs> and there's Queen Delia. We did get up. Last year, we had a, we got up to L. So what would a Queen L be? That was Queen Latifah. <laughs> that was a rockin' hive. All right, now I take a listen to this super booming overwintered hive. They're really pretty mellow. Yeah. For as many bees as there are in there. They're just content. They've got everything. They have five boxes of honey and brood. This is all propolis that is uh, holding the boxes together. You know, the old beekeepers used to, part of beekeeping was over the winter, you scrape all the propolis off your boxes. Well, they found that it's like an antibacterial force field around the bees. Um, the propolis is, um, wards off viruses and bacteria, so now we leave the propolis inside. It's kind of a shield. It seems like I've heard, like, what do people, how do people use that commercially? It seems like I've heard bee propolis. Yeah, yeah, you can get it and kind of dehydrate it, you know, in okay. pellets. Mm -hmm. I provided it for a friend in Chicago who's going through experimental cancer treatment, and her doctor said, um, 
to get a good, some very good propolis as it somehow helps against the effects of that new cancer treatment. Hmm. So I don't usually collect it, but I did for her. These the frames. The beekeeper. Yeah. That's why, that's why Tim's a keeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aww. Putting the keeper in beekeeper. So you see these bottom two big boxes? They're the deeps or the hive bodies. Those are the ones you never mess with. You um, you let the queen have that. That's too. the honey they get to keep. And more. You know, I give them more honey. I make sure it's at least 80 pounds, 80 to 100 pounds going to winter. But make sure those two are just um, set up for the queen to lay her, lay her eggs and winter feed. Yeah, so each, each hive this time of year probably has... This, my hive might have like 70,000 bees in it. Whoa. Okay. You know, 69,850 workers. And then the rest, a few male bees and then one queen. And the queen does not tell the other bees what to do. She's not like the all high, all, almighty <laughs> boss. The hive tells the queen what to do. It's a complete hive mentality where... Um, They'll kind of push her around and be like, okay, move up here. You need to lay eggs up here. Um, we need some more drones. So they give her, um, you know, certain food to promote that. They'll give her, bring her more pollen from the trees to stimulate um, egg laying. And when she's not doing a good job, off with her head. And they make a new queen. <laughs> For real? This, yeah. This is what democracy looks like. It is. It is. <laughs> You know, and when they, that's so true, when they, when they um, swarm in the spring, as a beekeeper, you, you try to prevent it. That's the whole point of beekeeping. But if you don't, um, their natural way of replicating is they, their numbers just explode in the spring. They thin down their existing queen so she can fly again. And then they push, they push her out of the hive and half of the bees go with her to a new site. And the other half raise a new queen. Um, so when they are deciding where to reestablish half the hive at, there's some scout bees that will go out and find an ideal spot, a hollow tree up high, your softening fascia maybe on your house. <laughs> um, and then they'll come back and get um, a handful of judge bees. And the judges will follow the scouts around to all of these potential sites. Wow. And then they'll come back. And then the judges will just go to which one they preferred. No discussion. They just go to the one they preferred. And majority wins. And then they see, okay, there's more in this, in Dan's uh, attic. So they'll all go there. Um, so it's, there's a lot we could learn from bees yeah. For our own governance. <laughs> yeah, they really have their own society. It's crazy. Yeah. And she serves the people, you know. She does not tell anyone to do. And they they respect her and they care for her, but for their collective benefit. These are the frames you pull out once they're mostly capped. And the next goal is to, we got to take off the thin wax capping.
as carefully as possible to expose the open cells. And then we put it in the centrifuge and spin it out. So there's a lot of ways of taking the wax cappings off. I like this tool here. It's got a bunch of sharp needles kind of pointing back towards you at an angle and you pull it towards you and it goes right under the wax. Yum. Yeah, you <laughs> see all the open honey there. So honey has um, such low moisture level and the honey um, itself kind of preserves stuff. So bacteria and viruses don't grow in it um, well at all. It takes, it's gotta be a high moisture honey. That's why you're allowed to bottle honey at home and process it. You don't have to be in a commercial kitchen because there's super low chance of it mm -hmm. being dangerous. I still keep everything as clean as possible and sterilize jars and whatnot. So this tool, is that what it's made for? It is, and okay. it comes um, Not a sheet in your mailbox okay. <laughs> from that big online store. This just looks so labor-intensive when you think about all the work that went into like just I just yeah. I chewed some a small mouthful of honey. Yeah. The labor, not just yours, but the bees, of course. The bees, mm. yeah. Yeah. It takes a bee its its whole life visiting thousands and thousands of flowers, trips back to the hive, flying hundreds of miles to make one twelfth of a teaspoon of honey. So one one pound of honey is like several trips around the earth if you were to add up all of their wow. forage miles. <laughs> and how did people figure out that, uh, you know, b before they had all this equipment, how were they harvesting it? Yeah, there's been beekeeping. There are records of beekeeping back to the Egyptian days right. and beyond. And um, they would make these, like, skeps, and they're kind of, like, domed, uh, made out of reeds. It was just the right enough size with thick enough walls that the bees would come in and they would build their comb, store honey. But they would have to, when they were harvested, they would have to actually take out the wax and just mush the honey out of it. Hmm. No These, suits, by the way. No suits. <laughs> <laughs> so this type of... Uh, this type of beekeeping equipment is the Langstrom hive, where each frame goes in individually, and you can pull it out, extract it, and put it back in. So, like 20 frames will go in this extractor. It's just a big uh, stainless steel barrel with slots for 20 frames. And it says honey extractor on it. This is yeah. a <laughs> thing of yours. Okay. Sue, can you press that plus button? Sure can. Oh. oh. So you want to spin it at a pretty low speed at first, because when the frames are super heavy with honey, they can actually kind of explode. They could oh. belly out if you're going too fast at once. There it goes. Oh, I can smell it. Mm-hmm. It's like a turbine of honey. And if you look on the side of the barrel, you can see it yeah. splattering against, and then it just runs down. Trips down? Wow. It really smells good. Yeah. <laughs> and then 
push down that red emergency stop button. Was that enough to get all the honey? No. no I usually, they'll spin it for like upwards of an hour. Okay. Hmm. I'll go really slow for 20 minutes and a little faster, a little faster. And mind you, there'll normally be 20 frames in here, but... And then on the back side here, I just have a, there's a valve and I just do a slow gravity filter through these, these metal screens right into a sterilized bucket. Filters out any big chunks? Or yeah, get out the bee wings, but ah, yeah. keep the suspended propolis and pollens in it for health benefits. Well, that's why I never find any wings in my home. <laughs> <laughs> Commercial honey, they will like force filter it, um, so it's just crystal clear, and then they'll heat it up, almost pasteurize it, so that it never crystallizes. But it also kills all the good enzymes when you start getting it over like 120 degrees Fahrenheit. So once I bottle it, it's still a living food. It's got all these active enzymes and suspended propolis and pollens. Um, what, what the customer does with it is up to them, but I'll tell them if they're making tea and they wanna maintain the health benefits, just let your tea steep for a minute before you add the honey. You don't wanna put it into boiling water or it'll start killing off the good stuff. So yeah, just gravity filter it and then bottle it up. Is there anything people can do to help bees in the fall? Well, in general, um, plant as many native flowers as you can. And even just a little patch in your yard really helps. Because bees will have to travel. They'll travel three, four, five miles to get food. And if they can stop at your yard and get a little sustenance to go a little further... Um, Avoid spraying um, anything that flowers that the pollinators might go after. If you do spray, spray before the flowers are out. Um, resist the temptation to kill the dandelions because that's one of their very first um, food sources. Oh, okay. In the spring. What about mowing versus not mowing? Actually, if you uh, want a good excuse not to mow, you'll notice little clover, white clover um, popping up once the lawn gets a little long and bees are all over it. Okay. So that works. tell me. your wife, okay. uh, Tim told you, well, you I, couldn't mow this I, week. I ain't gonna go over the clover. <laughs> <laughs> the dandelion thing makes me very happy because yeah, the neighbor, our neighborhood's overrun and neighbors hate me, but <laughs> they're pretty, who cares? And then the bees also need a water source, um, and like most animals, they need a bit of salt, which they'll get if, if they got ponds of water here and there, it'll get minerals out of the soil. Yeah, the bees do a lot for us beyond what we can even imagine. I mean, if you imagine um, a third to a half of our food disappearing from the supermarket. They're kind of like the canary in the coal mine too. Well, Under Rocks listener, we did it. We conquered our fears, we met the bees, and we learned a lot on this latest episode of Under Rocks. 
Thanks so much for joining us. And a big thanks goes out to Tim Benedict of Orion Organics for showing us around and sharing his knowledge and also making sure we were uh, nice and safe during the production of this episode. You can find more about Orion Organics online at orion.farm. And take it from us, that honey was absolutely delicious. So you need to be sure to grab yourself a jar from over at Orion Organics in Franklin Grove, Illinois. If you have an idea for a unique place, person, or thing you want us to explore next on Under Rocks, let us know. Send us an email at rocks at niu.edu. We're always looking for new things to examine next. Under Rocks is produced at WNIJ Studios by Dan Libman, Susan Stevens, Mike Lundgren, and myself. I'm Spencer Tritt. Thanks so much for joining us on this adventure, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Under Rocks from WNIJ.